chapter two of life in the sick room essays by an invalid this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. life in the sick room essays by an invalid by harriet martineau sympathy to the invalid the essence of friendship is entireness a total magnanimity and trust it must not surmise or provide for infirmity it treats its object as a god that it may deify both emerson our hands in one we will not shrink from life's severest due our hands in one we will not blink the terrible and true milne if all sorrow teaches us that nothing is more universal than sympathy long and irremediable sickness proves plainly that nothing is more various than its kinds and degrees or it may be than the manifestations of the sympathetic grief which is shared by all in a sharp sickness of a few days or weeks all good and kind people act and speak much alike are busy and ingenious in hastening the recovery and providing relief meantime it is when death is not to be looked for nor yet health that the test is applied that on either hand the genius and the awkwardness of consolation present themselves with a vast gradation between these extremes it is easy and pleasant to be grateful for all and to appreciate the love and pity which inspired them but it is impossible to relish all equally or to give the same admiration to that which flows forth fully and freely and that sympathy which is suppressed restricted or in any way changed before it reaches its object oh what a heavenly solace to the soul is free sympathy in its hour of need there is but one that can vie with it and that one is in truth an enhancement of the same emotions communion with mercy carried infinite degrees beyond the tenderness of human hearts is indeed the supreme incommunicable delight which must be only referred to because no sense of it can be conveyed by language but because it is of kindred nature though separated by immeasurable distance the solace of human sympathy ranks next to this what a springing of the heart like that on the discovery of a new truth or entrance on a new enterprise in youth attends the revelation to a sufferer of some stroke of genius in the consolations of one of the many who grieve for his affliction many give their best thoughts to provide alleviations whether in the form of medicines or dainties for the mind or palate for the eye or ear and sweet is the enjoyment of the kindness which provides whether the luxuries themselves can be relished or not some kind soul does a better service still by affording opportunity for the sufferer to minister to other afflicted ones to relieve some distress of poverty or other want this is sweet but there are times when the personal trial needs some solace nearer and more direct than this then is the hour when the pain of sympathy in the hearts of friends impels them to cast about for relief 
and tempts them to speak of hope to the sufferer who has no hope or none compatible with the kind of consolation they attempt going back to the days when i myself was the sympathizer i remember how strong is the temptation to imagine and to assure the sick one that his pain will not last that the time will come when he will be well again that he is already better or if it be impossible to say that that he will get used to his affliction and find it more endurable how was it that i did not see that such offers of consolation must be purely irritating to one who was not feeling better nor believing that he should ever be better nor in a state to be cheered by any speculation as to whether his pain would or would not become more endurable with time exactly in proportion to the zeal with which such considerations were pressed must have been the sufferer's clearness of perception of the disguised selfishness which dictated the topics and the words i was as i have suspected at the time from my sense of restraint and uneasiness trying to console myself and not my friend indulging my own cowardice my own shrinking from a painful truth at the expense of the feelings of the sufferer for whom my heart was aching i who had no genius for consolation at least in cases of illness have been silently corrected by the benignest of reproofs by the experience of this genius in my own season of infirmity the manifestations of sympathetic feeling are as various as of other feelings but the differences are marked by those whom they concern with a keenness proportioned to the hunger of their heart the sick man has even sometimes to assure himself of the grief of his friends by their silence to him on circumstances which he cannot but feel most important their letters extending over months and years perhaps contain no mention of his trial no reference to his condition not a line which will show to his executors that the years over which they spread were years of illness though he can account for this suppression in the very love of his friends yet it brings no particular consolation to him others perhaps administer praise praise which is the last thing a humbled sufferer can appropriate praise of his patience or fortitude which perhaps arrives at the moment when his resolution has wholly given way and tears may be streaming from his eyes and exclamations of anguish bursting from his lips such consolations require forbearance however it may be mingled with gratitude far different was my emotion when one said to me with a face like the face of an angel why should we be bent upon your being better and make up a bright prospect for you i see no brightness in it and the time seems past for expecting you ever to be well how my spirits rose in a moment at this recognition of the truth and again when i was weakly dwelling on a consideration which troubled me much for some time that many of my friends gave me credit for far severer pain than i was enduring and that i thus felt myself a sort of impostor encroaching unwarrantably on their sympathies oh never mind was the reply that may be more than balanced hereafter you will suffer more with time or you will seem to yourself to suffer more and then you will have less sympathy 
we grow tired of despairing and think less and less of such cases whether reasonably or not and you may have less sympathy when you need it more meantime you are not answerable for what your friends feel and it is good for them natural and right whether you think it accurate or not these words put a new heart into me dismissed my scruples about the overwealth of the present hour and strengthened my soul for future need the hour of which has not however yet arrived it is a comfortable season if it may but last when one's friends have ceased to hope unreasonably and not grown tired of despairing another friend endowed both by nature and experience with the power i speak of gave me strength for months for my whole probation by a brave utterance of one word yes in answer to a hoping consoler i told a truth of fact which sounded dismal though because it was fact i spoke it in no dismal mood and the genius at my side by a confirmatory yes opened to my view a whole world of aid in prospect from a soul so penetrating and so true i know it is pleaded that there are sufferers not strong enough to bear the truth who like to be soothed with hopes well or ill-grounded who find immediate comfort in being told that they will throw off their pain and be at ease if there be such i have never known them and i doubt their existence i believe that the tendency to make the worst of bodily complaints on which so many satires some just are founded is much aggravated if not generally caused by the tendency in the healthy and happy to disallow pain and a sad prospect children weak and unpractised sufferers as they are are found not to be consolable in the manner proposed we all know the story of the little boy in the street crying from the smart of a fall who when assured by a good-natured passenger that he should not cry because he would be well to-morrow answered then i won't cry to-morrow the weakest sufferers are precisely those who are least able to appropriate the future and its good things if this be true of the weak and if the strong find it irritating to be medicined with soft fictions or presented with anything but sound truth the popular method of consolation appears to be excluded altogether if my own life were to be lived over again i should from the strength of this conviction convert most of its words of intended consolation into a far more consolatory condolence never again should the suffering spirit turn from me as i fear it has often done if too gentle to be irritated yet sickening at hollow words of promise when instant fellow-feeling was what was needed and mournfully thinking though too kind to say it the heart knoweth its own bitterness and mine must endure alone the fair retribution has not followed for never thus have i been left to feel i am here reminded of a sort of consolation often offered which i do not at all understand i do not quarrel with it however for it may suit others less insensible to its claims sequestered sufferers whose term of activity is over and who apparently have only to endure as they may and learn and enjoy what they can till they receive their summons to enter on a new career are referred for solace to their consciences to their consciousness of services rendered to society and duty done in active days i strongly doubt whether 
conscience was ever appointed to the function of consoler i more than doubt i disbelieve it according to my own experience the utmost enjoyment that conscience is capable of is a negative state that of ease its power of suffering is strong and its natural and best condition i take to be one of simple ease but for enjoyment and consolation i believe we must look to other powers and susceptibilities of our nature it is inconceivable to me that our moral sense can ever be gratified by anything in our own moral state it must be more offended by our own sins and weaknesses than by all the other sin and weakness in the world in proportion as the evil is more profoundly known to it and more nakedly disgusting because it is stripped of the allowances and palliations which are admissible in all other cases and this disgust is not compensated for by a corresponding satisfaction in our own good for the very best good we can ever recognize in ourselves falls so far short of our own conceptions so fails to satisfy the requisitions of the moral sense that it can afford no gratification a conscience which can enjoy itself on its own resources must be of a very low degree i should say of a spurious nature in the highest state of health that i can conceive of health spiritual and physical i believe the function of the moral sense to be to delight itself in good wherever it is to be found and no wise person will look for it within himself to keep watch and ward against evil and to cherish lowliness at home by its incessant consciousness of the imperfection there an imperfection so keenly felt by an enlightened and accurate conscience as to cause a wholesome going abroad for interests and gratification so that ease may be found in self-forgetfulness the necessity which so many feel of a relief from their disappointed conscience of adventitious merits on which to rely in the failure of their own of a saving interposition between their own imperfections and the requisitions of god and duty this prevalent need is an unanswerable rebuke to the presumption which talks of the happiness of an approving conscience if it is thus in the season of vigour health and self-command how inexpressibly absurd is the mistake of bringing such a topic as consolation to the sick and sequestered to the sick whose whole heart is faint and the mental frame disordered more or less in proportion as the body is jaded and the nerves unstrung and to the sequestered who perforce devour their own hearts and find them the bitterest food why one of the most painful trials of long sickness and seclusion is that all old pains all past moral sufferings are renewed and magnified that in sleepless nights and especially on waking in the morning every old sin and folly and even the most trifling error rises up anew however long ago repented of and forgiven and in the activity of ordinary life forgotten any sort of ghost is more easily laid than this kind though their brains were out long years ago they continue to come they present themselves in defiance of all even the most sacred exorcisms so that it becomes one of the duties of the sick to bear their presence with composure and cease to struggle for their exclusion 
in the midst of this experience to have one's friends come and desire one to look back upon one's past life for complacency and self-gratulation in order to assure one's self how well one has used one's powers and opportunities how much one has done for society how lofty and honourable a life one has led and so forth oh what words can express the absurdity if the consoler could but see the invisible array which comes thronging into the sick-room from the deep regions of the past brought by every sound of nature without by every movement of the spirit within the pale lips of dead friends whispering one's hard or careless words spoken in childhood or youth the upbraiding gaze of duties slighted and opportunities neglected the horrible apparition of old selfishness and pusillanimities the disgusting foolery of idiotic vanities if the consoler could catch a momentary glimpse of this phantasmagoria of the sick-room he would turn with fear and loathing from the past and shudder while the inured invalid smiles at such a choice of topics for solace then it might become the turn of the invalid to console to explain how these are but phantoms how solace does abound though it comes from every region rather than the kingdom of conscience and how while the past is dry and dreary enough there are streams descending from the heaven-bright mountain-tops of the future for ever flowing down to our retreat pure enough for the most fastidious longing abundant enough for the thirstiest soul the consoler may then learn for life how easily all personal complacencies may be dispensed with while the sufferer can tell of a true refuge and strength and present help and of this river that gladdens the city of god and flows to meet us as we journey towards it but the anxious consoler may say is it right so to banish these complacencies if you really have served the world however imperfectly in your own eyes if you have sown thoughts and minds and called forth affections and hearts ought you to deny the facts or that they are good by no means if you assure me of these things as facts you bring me good news but i should feel it as good news perhaps better if the service had been rendered by anybody else for the simple reason that the good would then be to me unmixed which now it is not nor can ever be call upon me whenever you will to rejoice that men have gained an idea that the aged or children have been amused or strengthened or that society has been relieved from an abuse by any one's means rouse me from the depression of pain wake me up from sleep for the better refreshment of this news and i will rejoice but do not think to enhance your tidings by telling me that these things are my doing the only effect of that is to remind me how much better the service might have been done surely we both believe that all truth and goodness are destined to arise sooner or later among men to be visited with new or good ideas is a blessing to be appointed to communicate them is an honour but these blessings and honours are a ground for personal humility not complacency it is to me impossible to connect the idea of merit with any such destiny there is nothing we have so little hand in as our own ideas there is no occupation less voluntary than that of uttering them and so will every servant of his race say of his own species of service he will rejoice that something new and good is acquired or attained by his race and he must naturally be thankful for the honour and enjoyment appointed to him as the medium but he can find no ground for personal complacency in the matter 
he will be utterly careless whether men know a hundred years hence through whom they receive the benefit or whether his name has been for ninety years lost to all but his intimate friends if he were offered the choice between this reputation and the fact of his having conquered one unkind emotion or made one single effort of endurance he would eagerly prefer the secret genuine good to the blazoned apparent one there is something extremely absurd and ridiculous says the holy hartley in supposing a person to be perpetually feasting his own mind with and dwelling upon the praises that already are or which he hopes will hereafter be given to him and yet unless a man does this which besides would evidently incapacitate him for deserving or obtaining praise how can he fill up a thousandth part of his time with the pleasures of ambition even more absurd is to me the image of a lonely sufferer trying not only to fill up his time but to soothe his pains of body and calm his anguish of spirit by drawing delight from the remembrance of his own little contrivings and doings in the world i would recommend in preference the project of drawing sunbeams from cucumbers as a solace on the rack if it is asked after all this who can console how is it possible to please and soothe the sufferer i answer that nothing is easier nothing is more common nothing more natural to simple-minded people never creature had more title than i to speak confidently of this from experience which melts my heart day by day speaking the truth in love is the way one who does this cannot but be an angel of consolation everything but truth becomes loathed in a sick-room the restless can repose on nothing but this the sharpened intellectual appetite can be satisfied with nothing less substantial the susceptible spiritual taste can be gratified with nothing less genuine noble and fair then the question arises what sort of truth why that which is appropriate to the one who administers to each a separate gift may be appointed only let all avoid every shadow of falsehood let the nurse avow that the medicine is nauseous let the physician declare that the treatment will be painful let sister or brother or friend tell me that i must never look to be well when the time approaches that i am to die let me be told that i am to die and when if i encroach thoughtlessly on the time or strength of those about me let me be reminded if selfishly let me be remonstrated with thus to speak the truth in love is in the power of all higher service is a talent in the hands of those who have a genius for sympathy a genius less rare thank god than other kinds the archangel of consolation is the friend who at a fitting moment reminds me of my high calling not the clergyman making his stated visit for the purpose not the zealous watcher for souls who fears for mine on the ground of difference of doctrine not the meddler who takes charge of my spiritual relations whether i will or no none such are by virtue of these offices effectual consolers but if the friend of my brighter days with whom i have travelled sung danced consulted about my work enjoyed books and society the friend now far off busy in robust health of body and spirit sends me a missive which says you languish you are sick at heart but put this sickness from your heart and your pains under your feet 
you have known before that there is a divine joy in endurance prove it now lift up your head amidst your lot and wait the issue not submissively but heroically live out your season not wistfully looking out for hope or shrinking from fear but serenely and immovably because in full understanding with god endure if such an appeal comes and at any hour for there is no hour of sickness with which it is not congenial what an influx of life does it bring what a heavenly day week year succeeds how the crippled spirit leaps up at the miraculous touch and springs on its way praising god in his very temple and again when a thoughtful conscientious spirit guided by an analytical intellect utters from a distance not as an appeal but as in soliloquy with an eternity before us it cannot matter much if we would but consider it whether we are laid aside for such or such a length of time whether we can be busy for others at this moment or must wait so many months or years and as for ourselves how can we tell but that we shall find the experiences we are gaining worth any cost of suffering when such a thought comes under my eye as if i overheard some spirit in the night wind communing with itself i feel a strong and kindly hand take my heart and steep it in patience again a kind visitor eloquent by using few words or none on matters nearest at heart takes down from my shelves a fenelon or other quietist and with silent finger points to the saying inexhaustible in truth that it is what we are that matters not what we do and here in one moment do i find a boundless career open to me within the four walls of my room again a tender spirit anxious under responsibility says if you could but fully feel as you will one day feel the privilege of having your life and lot settled for you your spirit free your mind at leisure no hurry no conflicts nor misgivings about duty you would easily conceive that there are some who would gladly exchange with you and pour into your lap willingly all the good things that you seem to be without i dare say we are very philosophical for you about your sufferings but where i do sympathize with you is in regard to this clearness and settledness of your life's duty and affairs to this again my whole being cries amen here are a few of the heavenly messages which have come to me through human hearts when below these are ranged the innumerable ministrations of help of smiles and tears of solid comforts and beguiling luxuries it does indeed seem impossible that i should be in any degree dubious or hard to please in the contemplation and reception of human sympathy what i have said of its most perfect forms i have said from my own knowledge under this head of sympathy occurs the important practical consideration what should be the arrangements of a permanent invalid in regard to companionship in most cases this is no matter of choice but a point settled by domestic circumstances where it is not however i cannot but wish that more consideration was given to the comfort of being alone in illness this is so far from being understood that though the cases are numerous of sufferers who prefer and earnestly endeavour to procure solitude they are if not resisted wondered at and humoured for a supposed peculiarity rather than seen to be reasonable 
whereas if they are listened to as the best judges of their own comforts it may be found that they have reason on their side in a house full of relations it may be unnatural for an invalid to pass many hours alone but where as is the case with numbers who belong to the middle and working classes of society all the other members of the family have occupations and duties regular business in life without the charge of the invalid it does appear to me and is felt by me through experience to be incomparably the happiest plan for the sick one to live alone by experience it is found to be not only expedient but important in regard to happiness in pictures of the sick-room drawn by those who are at ease and happy the group is always of the sufferer supported and soothed by some loving hand and tender voice and every pain shared by sympathy this may be an approach to truth in the case of short sharp illness where the sufferer is taken by surprise and has his whole lesson to learn but a very different account would often be given by an invalid whose burden is for life and who has learned the truths of the condition we of that class find it best and happiest to admit our friends only in our easiest hours when we can enjoy their society and feel ourselves least of a burden and it is indispensable to our peace of mind to be alone when in pain where welfare of body is out of the question peace of mind becomes an object of supreme importance and this is unattainable when we see any whom we love suffering in our sufferings even more than we do or when we know that we have been the means of turning any one's day of ease and pleasure into sorrow the experience of years qualifies me to speak about this and i declare that i know of no comfort at the end of a day of suffering comparable to that of feeling that however it may have been with one's self no one else has suffered that one's own fogs have dimmed nobody's sunshine and when this grows to be the nightly comfort of weeks months and years it becomes the most valuable element in the peace of the sufferer and lightens his whole lot if not in the midst of pain he feels in prospect of it and after it that it really matters very little whether and how much he suffers if nobody else is pained by it it becomes a habit from the recurrence of this feeling to write letters in one's best mood to give an account of one's self in one's best hours to present one's most cheerful aspect abroad and keep one's miseries close at home under lock and key the objection commonly brought to this system is that it is injurious to one's loving and anxious friends but i do not find it so so loving and anxious are my friends that they do not need the wretched stimulus of seeing me suffer all that can be done for me is done and it would be no consolation but a great aggravation to me that they should suffer gratuitously their general love and care and concern for me are fully satisfying to me and i know that i have only to call and they will come but i feel with inexpressible comfort what a difference there is between their general concern for my state and the pain of days now separately spent by them in ease and joy which would be more dreary to them than to me if i let them share my dreariness a trifling incident which occurred the other day gave me strong satisfaction as proving that where my method can be made a system it works well promoting the cheerfulness without impairing the sympathies of even the youngest of those for whom i have a welcome only at certain seasons two little friends were with me one greatly admiring various luxuries about me and thence proceeding to reckon up a large amount of privileges and enjoyments in my possession and prospect when his 
companion said with a sigh and tenderness of tone musical to my soul ah but then there is the unhealthiness that spoils everything to which the other mournfully assented what more could these children know by having their hearts wounded by the spectacle of suffering and if they may be spared the pain larger minds and more ripened hearts must require it even less i need not say that this plan of solitude and pain supposes sufficient and kindly attendance but for a permanence though i know it to be otherwise in short illnesses there is no attendance to be compared with that of a servant in as far as the help is mechanical it tends to habituate the sufferer to his lot and the relation is sustained with the least expenditure of painful feeling on both sides with the least anxiety as well as pain of sympathy there is sufficient kindliness excited in the attendant by the appeal to her feelings while there is no call for the agony which a congenial friend must sustain and on the other side there is no overwhelming sense of obligation to the nurse but a satisfactory consciousness of at least partial requital it is no small item in the account of this method that the promotion of the happiness of the attendant is a cheerful natural and salutary pursuit to the invalid a daily duty imposed when so many others are withdrawn a fragment of beneficent power left in the scene of its wreck to dignify her by putting one's self under express and frequent obligations to her to rejoice her by enjoying relief or pleasure devised by her ingenuity to spare her health promote her little fortunes encourage her best tastes and aspirations and draw out for her as well as for one's self the lessons of the sick-room to study these things befits the mutual relation and cheers the life of the sufferer while the connection is not so close as to involve the severer pains of sympathy in a sick-room where health is never again to enter it is well and easily understood that commemorative seasons anniversaries etc are far from being as elsewhere among the gayest in truth they are often mournful enough but i am confident that they are most cheerily spent alone no heart left to its kind can bear to let them pass unnoticed it is an intolerable selfishness to abolish them as far as in one lies because they have ceased to gladden us this would be as paltry as to turn one's back on an old companion formerly all merriment and smiles because he comes to us in mourning or in tears or let us say abstracted and thoughtful but it does not succeed to make small attempts to keep the day for the sake of one or two companions putting up christmas holly over the fireplace where there is only one to sit and having christmas fare brought to the couch to be sent away again but when one is alone the matter is very different and becomes far gayer there is nothing then to prevent my being in the world again for the day no human presence to chain me to my prison when my servant is dismissed to make merry with the rest and i am alone with my holly sprigs and the memories of old years i can flit at will among the family groups that i see gathered round many firesides if the morning is sunny i actually see with my telescope the gay crowds that throng the opposite shore after church and the sight revives the dimmed image of crowded streets and brings back to my ear the almost forgotten sound of the church-going bell when it grows dark and my lamp burns so steadily as to give of itself a deep impression of stillness when there is no sound but of the cinder dropping on the hearth or of the turning of the leaf as i read or write there is something of a holiday feeling in pausing to view and listen to what is going on in all the houses where one has an interest 
by means of that inimitable telescope we carry about in us which acts as well in the pitch-dark night as at noon and defies distance and house walls i see in turn a christmas tree with its tapers glittering in a room full of young eyes or the games and the dance or the cosy little party of elderly folk round the fire or the tea-table and i hear not the actual jokes but the laughter and the suff of sounds without the sense and can catch at least the soul of the merriment if i am at ease i am verily among them if not i am thankful not to be there and at all events have from lifelong association caught so much of the contagious spirit of sociability that when midnight comes i lie down with an impression of its having been an extraordinary day a social one though as these are the days when one is sure not to see one's doctor the face of my maid is in reality the only one that has met my eyes oh yes on these marked days however it may be on ordinary ones our friends may take our word for it that we are most cheery alone there is one day of the year of which everybody will believe this one's birthday regarded as a birthday usually and naturally is in ordinary circumstances there must be something melancholy in it when attempted to be kept in the sick-room of a permanent invalid but this melancholy is lost when one is alone it is true one's mind goes back to the festivals of the day in one's childhood and to the mantling feelings of one's youth when each birthday brought us a step further into the world which lay in its gay charms all before us and we find the grey hairs and thin hands of to-day form an ugly contrast with the images conjured up but in another view a view which can be enjoyed only in silence and alone what a sanctity belongs to these grey hairs and other tokens of decay they and the day are each tokens how dear seals how distinct of promise of our selection for a not distant admittance to a station whence we may review life and the world to better advantage than even now if with every year of contemplation the world appears a more astonishing fact and life a more noble mystery we cannot but be reanimated by the recurrence of every birthday which draws us up higher into the region of contemplation and nearer to the gate within which lies the disclosure of all mysteries which worthily occupy us now and doubtless a new series of others adapted to our then ennobled powers this is a birthday experience which it requires leisure and solitude fully to appropriate and it yet leaves liberty for the human sympathies which belong to the season post-time is looked to for its sure freight of love and pity and good wishes from a few or not a few whose affections keep them even more on the watch than ourselves for one's own holy day letters are one's best company on that day and best if they are one's only company there is one point on which i can speak only as every one may from observation and thought but on which i have a very decided impression notwithstanding as to the conduct which would be dictated by the truest sympathy in a case which not unfrequently occurs i have known instances of persons most benevolent and thoughtless of themselves through life becoming exigeans and oppressive in their last days merely through want of information as to what they are doing one attendant is usually preferred to all others by a dying person and i have seen the favourite nurse worn out by the incessant service required day and night by the sufferer in ignorance how time passes even a mistake of the night for the day i have known the most devoted and benevolent of women call up her young nurse from a snatch of sleep at two in the morning to read aloud when she had been reading aloud for six or seven hours of the preceding day 
i have known a kind-hearted and self-denying man require of two or three members of his family to sit and talk and be merry in his chamber two or three hours after midnight and both for want of a mere intimation that it was night and time for the nurse's rest how it makes one shudder to think of this being one's own case the passing doubt whether one can trust one's friends when the season comes to save one from such tyrannical mistakes is a doubt sickening to the heart nothing is clearer now when we are in full possession of ourselves than that the most sympathizing friend is one who cherishes our amiability and reasonableness to the last who preserves our perfect understanding with those about us through all dimness of the eyes and wandering of the brain if i could not trust my friends to save me from involuntary encroachment at the last i had rather scoop myself a hole in the sand of the desert and die alone than be tended by the gentlest hands and soothed by the most loving voices in the choicest chamber it is doubtless easiest to comply at the moment of such exactions at any sacrifice of subsequent health and nerve but it should be remembered that the sacrifice is not of health alone the posthumous love must suffer or if not the love the respect for the departed it is impossible to love one who appears in a selfish aspect though it be the merest mask most briefly worn so well as the countenance that never concealed its benevolence for a moment let then the timely thought of the future a provident care for the memory of the dying friend suggest the easy prudence which may obviate encroachment let the bewildered sufferer be frequently and cheerfully told the hour and informed that such a one is going to rest to be replaced by another for so many hours a little forethought and resource may generally prevent the great evil i speak of and if not true sympathy requires that there should be a cheerful word of remonstrance or let us call it rectification so may it be with me if so lingering a departure be appointed thus would every one say beforehand and it seems to me a sin against every one's moral rights not to take him at his word End of chapter two